book of Matthew chapter 6, the gospel of Matthew chapter 6. I wanted to uh, quickly go over an insert that you have in your bulletin. If you notice, there's this yellow card here in your bulletin and it says New Life Kids Volunteer Info Card. I want to give you a, a quick update as to where we are with our kids' ministry. On a given Sunday, we have about 170 to 200 elementary kids coming to our church. That's a lot of kids coming into church. And one of the things that we want to do, we've been talking about, is we don't want to be a church that's about Sunday school. We don't, we don't want to have Sunday school in our church. And he's like, what do you, what do you, that sounds like heresy. What do you mean there's no Sunday school in the church? What we mean by that is Sunday school tends to be oriented around just the transference of information. Just memorize this, here it is, more information. And what we want before that, of course we want that, but we want is relationships. We want our kids to really enjoy and experience relationships with other people that are, 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 have a walk with Christ and there's trust to be able to build. And so the way we structure our small groups is that they're structured just like adults, uh, community, and new life, where we have small groups. It's structured in small group communities. And so our goal is to have ratios of one to five, one to six, where a small group leader can meet with five to six kids. Once you, know, once you get you know, 10 third graders in a room, at that point, ain't nobody having fun. And so... Uh, and so what we want to do is we want to create relationships. And so if you're coming to New Life, if you're not involved in any kind of groups or volunteering, and you want, you're like, you know what, I want to try something out. I want to invite you to just to fill this out. Relationships are a big value. And we want it to be said years from now that kids who are now in second and third grade, that they had rich experiences on Sunday mornings, learning about God, learning about the love of Jesus, and in good relationships with other folks. And so if you're not volunteering in some capacity, I want you to really consider this. You can fill this out, drop it downstairs at the welcome table uh, in the lobby before you head out. Or you can ask any of our staff if you have any questions at all. Now, we've been on a series looking at the Lord's Prayer, and as one theologian has said, the Lord's Prayer is really encapsulates the entirety of Christianity. Whatever Christianity is, we see it reflected here in the Lord's Prayer. And today, we're going to be looking at uh, the portion of the prayer, Lead Us Not Into Temptation. Next week, I'm going to finish that talking about Deliver Us From The Evil One. But today, we're going to focus on Lead Us Not Into Temptation. And so, as we have been doing every time we start off a message, we've been praying this as a church family together. That's one of the best ways you can encounter scripture, not just by reading it, but by praying it, by praying scripture. God does something in us as we pray scripture together. And so together, before we get into this message, let's, let's pray the Lord's Prayer as a church family. Together, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This week, I, ironically, when I was driving on Queens Boulevard, I came across a bumper sticker that caught my attention. And usually you see all the bumper stickers. You see some of the bumper stickers are about religion. Some bumper stickers are about you know, politics and why you should vote for this person and not that person. Some uh, bumper stickers are about p- proud parents talking about why their kid is smarter than your kid and all of that stuff. And I love all those bumper stickers. But there's one that came and struck my attention because of what I'm preaching this week. And the bumper sticker was about temptation. And, and this is what it said uh, on the car there. It said these words here. Lead me not into temptation. I can find it just fine 
mine myself. And I, and I thought to myself, isn't that true? Isn't that accurate? We have a way of, of finding our way into temptation. And it's pretty easy to do so because temptation is presented to us on a repeated basis. There's temptation all around us. There are folks who cannot walk by if you go to Penn Station, you know, the Krispy Kreme donut spot, without that, I mean, just pulling you, you have temptation just pulling you into their Martha's Bakery or whatever it is without being enticed to enjoy some sweets. Uh, there are some of us that when we go to the mall, we just we, we went window shopping. I just, I'm just going to go window shopping. And we come out with bags of stuff, with our, uh, you know, maxed out our credit card and all of that. We turn on the TV and we're inundated with images. We're inundated with, with, with sensuality and all of that. And, and we're pulled into these images. Or we see people who are live a, live a particular life of success. And we say, I want to be like that person. And we are drawn, we are enticed to live that kind of way. Lead us not into temptation. I could find it all by myself. Now, temptation, what we're talking about today, is really the enticements of our lives that draw us away from, from the Father, from His love, and from the way of His kingdom. And this issue of temptation is not a new issue, this is an ancient issue. And you look at scripture, we see that temptation comes up over and over again. And so when we look at our lives, we should not be surprised when we are tempted. In the first few pages of scripture, we, we see temptation coming to the scene immediately. We have Adam and Eve, created by God, walking in fellowship with God. And just a few verses after it talks about how they were walking, I mean, if you're walking with God, that's pretty important. And you're walking with God, and then a few verses after, they are enticed because of temptation. We see Joseph, a person in scripture in the book of Genesis, who is a man of integrity, a man of upright standing, and yet this man is tempted repeatedly. We see a man like David, a man after God's own heart, someone who, who has known the love of God, who has intimacy with God, and yet he is tempted time and time again. Sometimes he did the right thing, many times he did the wrong thing. And you look at Jesus, the son of the living God, when he begins his ministry, he begins his ministry by being tempted by the evil one in the wilderness. And so so to be tempted is not a sign that you are a bad person. To be tempted is, is just a sign that we are human beings, that we are broken human beings, frail, always subject to temptation. Now, this past week, I came across a list of temptations uh, that they, people, some people were saying, these, these are the most common temptations we face. And I thought, I know no one in New Life struggles with this, but it's, it's, it's worth just putting it up on the screen. Maybe you know someone who struggles with these temptations. And, and so you know, materialism and pride or, or self-centeredness and laziness and bitterness and sexual lust and envy and gluttony and lying. I know none of us in this room wrestle with this because, you know, because the Holy Spirit inside all of us, right? But, but, but this is what people say are the most uh, difficult temptations out there. Temptation is, many times, is obvious, and many times temptation is very subtle. And I experienced the subtle nature of temptation this past week. This past week, every Tuesday, I, I get together with Red, I get together with Peter Roden, and we talk about the large issues before us at New Life. What are the issues that we need to address? What are the issues that we need to think through and pray through? And so, I, I, you know, if, if you've been in a meeting with me, I'll, I'll, I'll go by the whiteboard. I've got my mark in my hand. I'm just saying, uh, we got this issue and this issue and this issue. 
Oh God, we got this year. And by the time I got to like issue 13, you know, read, you know, a, you know, a man of God. He said, can we just pause for a second? And I was like, for what? And he's just like, can we just pray? And I'm just like, yeah, I guess we're in a church. It's a good idea. Might as well pray, you know. And so I said, all right, let's pray. So why don't you lead the prayer? And so I sat down with all the stuff that we need to talk about on the list. And he said, can we leave a couple of blank areas just in case God, you know, leads us in, in different directions? And so he starts praying. And he starts praying the Lord's Prayer. And he starts praying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm thinking, oh, what? That other issue, I've got to put that on the screen, on the, on the board. I'm, I'm just thinking, oh, and, and, he's, and he's praying, Give us this day our daily bread. And he's praying, and I'm, I'm, my mind is distracted. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And then my mind is distracted, uh, you know, I'm confessing here. My mind is distracted as he's praying. And, but then he gets to the line that I'm talking about this week Lead us not into temptation. And at that moment, it's like an arrow struck me in my heart. And I realized how subtle it is for me to be led into temptation, for me to be wanting to do my own thing. And it's so subtle. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Every single day of our lives, we are tempted to be something and to do something that's inconsistent with the way of Jesus. And so the question that's before us very simply is, is what does it mean to pray, lead us not into temptation? That, it, that throughout the course of this week, when you pray this prayer, and my prayer is that you're praying this a couple of times a day, and you're going to need, as you hear today, you're going to need to pray this a few times a day. What do we mean when we pray these words, lead us not into temptation? And it is here where we pick up in Matthew chapter 6, the passage we just read about the Lord's Prayer. Now, in Matthew chapter 6, we, we talk, we've been talking about when Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer, he gives it as a response to a question that the disciples ask him. The disciples were walking with Jesus. They noticed that he has a particular power. They noticed that he has an intimacy with God. They noticed that his life is different than everybody else's life. And so they, it, it, it provokes them to say, Lord, they connected his life with prayer. They said, Lord, could you teach us how to pray? You seem to be onto something that we're not getting. Could you teach us how to pray? And so Jesus very simply says, I want, he gives us this prayer. And he says, okay, pray like this. And he gives the Lord's Prayer as a, as a framework for us. And he gives the Lord's Prayer, I believe, for us to pray contemplatively on a regular basis, word for word. And so Jesus says, if you're going to get the prayer right, if you're going to get it right, you're going to have to begin with two words, our Father. And if you get those two words right, the rest of the prayer is going to flow. But if you get those two words wrong, the rest of the prayer is subject to failure. Because if you don't get who you're talking to accurately, you are bound for destruction. And so we're talking to a generous God. We're talking to a good father. We're talking to a compassionate father, out of which everything else flows. And so he says, talk, you're saying our father who is in heaven. And that father's name should be hallowed, should be seen as sacred. And we should pray that his kingdom should come and that his will should be done. And he's a good father, so he provides us with daily bread. And he's a good father, and so he forgives us as we forgive. And, he, and experiencing his forgiveness is to really lead us to forgiving others. And so Jesus teaches us the entirety of this prayer. And then he gets to this line, lead us not into temptations. Which many scholars say this is the most difficult passage or part of the prayer to interpret. And there's lots of opportunity for misunderstanding. And so before we talk about what Jesus is, means in this prayer, I want to talk about what he is not saying first in this prayer. First of all, when Jesus says, lead us not into temptation, he is not saying that God himself causes us to be tempted. He's not saying God is the one who says, you know, hey, Joe, there's some temptation over there. Let me lead you to it over there. That's not what he's saying, because that would undo the entire prayer. 
That would, if God is the one who's leading us into temptation, that, that's not a good father. That's not one who wants to usher us into his kingdom. And so, and so when, it's, when we talk about lead us not into temptation, first of all, it's not God who is tempting us. And, what, and, and really, what, what, what temptation emerges from is two places. Temptation emerges from the evil one, which we're going to talk about next week. But temptation also emerges from the, the desires, the, the fallen desires of our hearts. This is why the, the book of James says these words here. It says, let no one say... When he or she is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he or she is lured and enticed by his own desire. I would say our own broken, fallen, evil desires. And and so God tempts no one. Listen, we could do all good by ourselves in that area. God does not tempt us at all. It's when our own twisted desires tempt us. And so that's the first thing that I want to talk about, what Jesus is not saying. But what would be helpful to get the passage, understand this passage, is to get what Jesus means by this word temptation. And this word temptation comes really, this, 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 the Greek word is perosmos. And it's a word that really has a dual meaning. And, and the, word, the dual meaning is that, yes, it means temptation, but it also means to be tested. And so when, when Jesus says for us to pray, lead us not into temptation, he's also saying for us to pray, don't lead us into testing. And it's essentially this, Jesus knows us. And he knows that if we are put to the test, we are liable to fail. And so we're saying to God, God, please, Lord, I have not prepared for this quiz. I have not prepared for this test. Please don't test me because I know myself. I know I'm liable to fail. Don't let us be put to this test. And so as Dallas Willard, a philosopher, uh, a late philosopher out of the University of Southern California, said, he said, this part of the prayer is a vote of no confidence in our ability. It's a vote of no confidence in our ability. And so Jesus tells us to pray this prayer because he wants to remember, he wants us to remember the truth about our lives. And, and, And it expresses the understanding that we cannot stand up under very much pressure. Now, what's interesting about this prayer is to notice the progression of it, because every line of the Lord's prayer is a confession. You're affirming something. You're confessing something. When we begin by saying our father, we're confessing this is the God that we're talking to. He is our father. He is generous. He is compassionate. When we say hallowed is his name, we're confessing that it is his name, not our name, that should be hallowed, that should be seen as sacred. When we say your kingdom come, we're confessing about something about his kingdom. His rule is good. His will is good. When we say give us this day our daily bread, we confess that he is a God who provides for us. When we say forgive us our trespasses, we affirm something about God that he is willing to forgive us and loves to forgive us. And so up to this point, we're confessing about God. But when we get to this part of the prayer, we're not confessing something about God anymore. We're confessing something about ourselves. Everything else up to this point has been about God. At this point now, we're confessing something about ourselves. And to pray this part of the prayer, lead us not into temptation, confesses this about ourselves. It confesses that we are weak and vulnerable people. All of us in this room, we are weak and vulnerable people. Now, to confess weakness is something we do not want to confess about our lives, about ourselves. And actually, most of our lives are spent hiding our weaknesses. But all of us, regardless of your age, regardless of your culture, regardless of your occupation, regardless of your education, regardless of how many years you've been a follower of Jesus, whether it's been five weeks or whether it's been 50 years, we are all weak, vulnerable people. 
And so this is why praying this part of the Lord's Prayer is, is especially important because it reminds us of our brokenness and our weakness. And when you look at the world, time and time again, we see weakness and we see brokenness. We see institutional weakness. We look at 2008, the financial collapse of entire you know, billion-dollar billion companies just folding. And we see, well, we are weak people. There's political weakness where we see politicians and, and, and political leaders who seem strong, and next thing you know, they have fallen to weakness. We see religious leaders who are to be, you know, you know the, the holding up the standard of, of, of holiness and, and, and godly character, and we see uh, religious leaders falling to the wayside. And we don't have to look for, far to look at our own personal weaknesses, whether it comes in the form of broken relationships or addictions or emotional meltdowns or bad decision-making. We are all weak people. And we have a hard time confessing this about ourselves because we want to be seen as strong. We want to be seen as mighty people. We want to be seen as capable, competent people. This is why when you're, in, you're interviewed at a job for a job interview, the, you know, the, one of the most dreaded questions that comes out is, is after you've been talking for 30 minutes ago, could, could, the, the supervisor or whatever says, could you tell me some of your weaknesses? And it's just like, oh, no. And, and, and we don't, of course, we don't confess our weaknesses at that spot. We don't say, well, you know, I have a hard time waking up in the morning on time. You know, I usually get to bed 45 minutes late. I steal paper clips. I'm irritable. I, I, you know, I get defensive if you correct my work. I like to leave a little early. I usually stay at a job about five or six months. We don't say that at all. What we, could, what we say about our weaknesses, if we say this, we say, you know what my weakness is? I'm just a perfectionist. I mean, that's just... <laughs> That's just the kind of guy I am. I mean, I, I get to work early. I leave later than everybody else. My weakness, my struggle is that I'm a perfectionist. I mean, I just like to do a job really well. And, 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 I'm, and I've done enough now interviews, and I'm going, really? <laughs> That's your only weakness. Because we have a hard time, rightfully so, in that situation. We're not going to talk about all of that. But, but, but we want to come across as we're strong people, that we're capable people. And yet, Scripture time and time again lets us know that we are weak people. Now, that's in the marketplace. And we see this in the church as well. So much of our Christianity is about covering our weakness and brokenness. This is why many churches don't experience deep transformation. Because they're so busy putting up a front of who we want people to think we are. That we never put down the facade, we never put down the mask, so that we can begin to see each other's weakness and be transformed by God in the midst of that. And so time and time again, we, we want to hide our weaknesses, but, but a quick look at the Bible, a quick glance at Scripture shows that time and time again, we encounter weak, broken people who God uses time and time again. And a quick glance at the people that God used, it's remarkable to see their weaknesses. As one person said, it comes out this way, you know, these, these are the heroes of our faith. And, and, and look what they struggled with. Moses stuttered, Jacob lied, Rahab was a prostitute, Hosea married a prostitute, Jonah ran from God, David cheated, murdered, and covered it up, Paul was irritable, Thomas doubted, Peter denied knowing Jesus, and Noah got drunk. These are the people of our faith, the heroes of the Bible who look a lot like us. And yet God Use them time and time again. As Jean Vanier has said, he said, our lives are a mystery of growth from weakness to weakness. Think about it. When you enter into this world, you enter in weakness. You enter into the as in weakness of a baby. There's no strength in a child. There's no strength. There's weakness, frailty. And when we exit this world, for most of us, we exit as, as old, frail people, weak, 
And so we go from weakness to weakness. And the mystery of it is that in the midst of that, we experience growth. The truth is we are, we are all weak people, capable of destructive ways that do damage to ourselves, do damage to those around us, and do damage to our relationship with God. And so Jesus knows this about you and I. And so he teaches us to pray, lead us not into temptation. Jesus knows something about me and the person sitting next to you. That it doesn't take much for us to go astray. It doesn't take much for us to fall off the wagon. It doesn't take much for us to start living our kingdom and our will as opposed to his kingdom and his will. It doesn't take much at all. This past week we were reminded of how your life can, in a moment, if we're not living dependent on God, can go astray. Or in general, how people can go from living in one existence, way of existence and living in another. This past week, we, we, we saw that in the person of Philip Seymour Hoffman. Philip Seymour Hoffman, for many, uh, many of you might not know, he a, was a famous actor, uh, came out in many uh, great films, and he was found dead in his Manhattan apartment after died of a drug overdose, having died of a drug overdose. And uh, I've read reports that said that he had 70 bags of heroin in his Manhattan apartment. And as I was reading about this story, I came across an article from Slate magazine uh, written by a director uh, from MIT. And this is how the article begins, and it's quite startling. And this is what the writer says. He says, I cried when I heard about Philip Seymour Hoffman. The news scared me. He got sober when he was 22 and didn't drink or use drugs for the next 23 years. During that time, he won an Academy Award, was nominated for three more, and was widely cited as the most talented actor of his generation. He also became a father to three children. Then one day in 2012, he began popping prescription pain pills, and now he's dead. The article, the title of it is The Ever-Present Danger of Relapsing. The Ever-Present Danger of Relapsing. Now, your struggle, your temptation might not be heroin. Your struggle might not be alcohol. Your struggle might be... But all of us in this room, we all have our vulnerabilities. And that list that I put up earlier, that's really a picture of our lives, of the, of the ways that we are struggling, whether it be through materialism, or whether it be through, through gluttony, or whether it be through sexual lust, or whether it be through any of that. We are all... We are all in this room have a lot in common with Philip Seymour Hoffman. Every one of us in this room. And so Jesus knows this about us. He knows that one moment we could be going this way, and out of a series of little decisions, we can be going that way. And as a result, because he knows this about us, he wants us to be aware of it ourselves, to cry out to God, to pray, lead us not into temptation. Lord, you know I'm capable of failing the test. Lord, you know I'm capable of relapsing. Lord, you know it doesn't take much for me to fail. As one person said to me after the first service, she said, you saved me today, Rich, because I was going to kill my husband when I got home today. <laughs> Lead me not into temptation. Here's the paradox, though, of living in the kingdom of God. We are to be people who do not run from weakness. We are called to be a people to embrace it. We're called to a spirituality of weakness and brokenness. And affirming this about our lives is, is not to give us an excuse to say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm weak, I couldn't resist, you know, this is just the kind of person I am. That's not what this prayer is about. To pray, lead us not to temptation, is to get us to the place where we open our hearts to the Father and his kingdom. So we open our hearts to the Father and his love and his kingdom. 
And so uh, for, for the rest of our time here, I want to talk about what, what, how do we begin to live this out? That when we pray this throughout the course of the week, what are we talking about when we say, lead us not into temptation? And I want to just offer three just simple, practical ways to live out this prayer. And the first is this. The, the, this portion of the prayer is to produce in our lives prayerful dependence on God. Prayerful dependence on God. The entire prayer itself, but this in particular, is to form in our life dependence on God. And we need to be dependent on God because sin is so hidden, it's so complex, it's so dangerous. And, and we have many blind spots and we're inches away from falling off the wagon. And so this part of the prayer is essentially saying, Lord, I need you. Lord, I am powerless on my own. Lord, if left to my own devices, I am going to live a destructive existence to myself and to others. And this is why we've been talking about praying this prayer a couple of times a day. Because we recognize that it doesn't take much for us to lose focus. And one of the ways that we want to live this out, we talk about daily offices at New Life. And daily offices is really creating a rhythm of prayer throughout the course of the day to be with God. And, and this, is, this goes beyond what people typically do, Christians, when we talk about morning devotions or quiet time with God. Now, some people, they, they start off the morning and they say, I'm, I need quiet time with God. And that time is 30 minutes, 45 minutes. They're praying, they're in scripture. And we live under the illusion that that quiet time with God is going to sustain us for the rest of the day. And the truth about our lives is this. You could have quiet time with God in the morning, but by the time you get off the train on your way to work, Whatever you had with God has at least evaporated by 50%. Whatever God, whatever joy, whatever peace, whatever love, whatever kindness, by the time you get to work, half of that is already gone. By the time noon comes, lunchtime comes, your coworker has irritated, your boss has said a critical remark, your, your customers are doing something, you're, you're, you're down to 10% everybody of whatever you received in the morning. By the time you leave the day, you don't even look like a Christian anymore. This is just who we are. And then we're so tired of prayer, I need to go to sleep. And then we have all these crazy dreams. We wake up in the morning, I just need some quiet time again. And we do the same. We've been sitting in our dreams, and, and I just need some quiet time again. Start the morning off. That's not, that's not prayerful dependence. Prayerful dependence is about the course of the day. We're creating a rhythm where we're saying, Lord, I need you. Whether we're pausing for five minutes or we're pausing for 20 minutes, but throughout the course of the day, we, by 12 o'clock, we've already fallen off the wagon in our hearts. And so prayerful dependence is, Lord, teach me to create, to, to create this rhythm while throughout the course of the day, I'm being with you. Because left to my own devices, I'm about to do something destructive. Whether I say it or whether it's in my heart, lead me not into temptation. This is about a life of being with God so that the life of God may flow through us. And so to pray, lead us not into temptation, is about prayerful dependence on God. In addition, though, the second thing I want to offer, what does this mean for us to pray this prayer and what does this mean for us throughout the course of this coming week? It's also this, that to pray this prayer means that God wants to create in us to be a community of brokenness and weakness. That this is what we're, we are to be as a church family, in your small groups, wherever you be, we are to be a community of brokenness. And so to pray, that, lead us not into temptation, it's a community prayer. 
And it's a recognition that all of us are tempted. Therefore, we need each other. Last week, Greg talked about uh, AA meetings, and, and he gave the illustration about why per, one person, they don't want to go to church because of AA meetings, they really experience God more in that context. And, and I read something this past week about why the church should be like an AA meeting, and it's written by a, a theologian named David Fitch. And hear these words, because I think it gives you a, a great picture of what a community of weakness looks like, a community of brokenness. And this is what he says. He says, I, I, I contend the church gathering should be like a good AA meeting. An AA meeting gathers people together who are admitted alcoholics. They bring their full awareness of themselves before one another and engage in a ritual of being present, one with another in their sin. When they gather, they recite the first step, that they are powerless over alcohol. It is not unlike, not unlike the corporate confession in the Christian gathering. They acknowledge that they must surrender to a power greater than themselves if they are to regain sanity. They hear from one another, often like a good sermon. They receive a challenge from the AA Big Book. They commit to a total practice of reconciliation, similar to what Christians do before the Eucharist. They encounter this reality in all of its brute force. And then in this moment, they gain the sustenance to live life faithfully for another day. This is why at New Life we talk about small groups all the time. Because we want to be a community of brokenness where you can meet people face to face in all of our weakness and experience the strength and the power of God in that. This is why I love a couple of weeks ago when we had Chris and Dan up here. And they talked about the pure desire groups that we, that we have at New Life for folks struggling with sexual addiction. And we talk about the kind of communities that we want to create where people can come and be honest and open about their weaknesses and their struggles and find healing there and find hope there and find the, the power of God in that community. But we are to be a weak community. That, that is, that we are to be a people that, that don't live with our masks up. And I recognize that for, for some people, it's a journey of, of pulling down our masks. But that's where God wants to take us. That we go to a place where we are with each other, not in our strength, we're with, with each other in our weakness. And this is where friendship and community is found. This is why C.S. Lewis, he says, friendship is born the moment you say, I'm not the only one, you too. That's when friendship emerges, where we're able to put down our masks and relate to each other, not based on our strengths, but based on our weaknesses. And that's the kind of community that God wants to create in us. So this is why when, when Aya comes up here talking about small groups and people are downstairs in our, in our shell room talking about small groups, we're not doing this just because we want people to get, we're, we're doing this because we are to be a community of brokenness, a community of weak people encountering the power of God in our weakness. And so what does it mean to live this prayer? It means that we're this prayerful dependence. It means that we're a community of brokenness. But it also means that God wants to form in us humble compassion. Humble compassion. And by that I mean that this coming week, when you know this prayer, we pray this prayer, we begin to see the sins and the faults of others from a perspective from our own weakness. It changes the way we look at the news. It changes the way you look at a friend of yours or someone you know about that has maybe done something that was wrong. Because typically when we hear someone did something wrong on the news, our first response is, they did what? Uh, how could they do such a thing? And we come with our moralism and our judgmentalism. But when you know enough about yourself, 
that within you, you have the capability. And, and there is inside of you a possibility to do exactly what they did. And, the, and if the right circumstances presented itself, it changes the way we look at other people now. And we don't come from a position of judgmentalism anymore. We come from a position of compassion, of humble compassion, because we recognize I'm not much different than Philip Seymour Hoffman. I'm not much different than all the news that we see, what, what someone did or, or whatever someone else. I am not much different. Inside of me, I have the capability to do exactly what that person has done. And so we are to come out of a humble compassion. We are, we're essentially saying, I, I, I guess I can believe he did that. And given the right circumstance, I'm capable of doing that as well. We should all be crying out for the mercy of God. Because we are just as capable as the next person to fall or, or slip into temptation. So Jesus knows this about us. And so Jesus teaches us to pray, lead us not into temptation. Listen, everyone, this is about prayerful dependence on God. My hope is throughout the course of this week, when you pray this prayer, you're praying it crying out for the mercy of God. This is why the Jesus prayer is so important. The Jesus prayer comes out of the story where, where, where there's a, you know, a tax collector and, 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 a, and, a, and a, person, a, a religious person, and, and they had two ways of praying. What the religious person said, thank God I'm not like that tax collector. Thank God I'm not like that guy. And yet the tax collector said these words. Essentially, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. That should flow off of our lips throughout the course of the day. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's who I am. Lead me not into temptation. I'd like to invite the worship team up here to pray this prayer means that we are asking God to save us. Save us from what? Of course, save us from the evil one, which we're going to talk about next week. But save us, save us from ourselves. Lord, I know what I'm capable of. Save me from myself. And the truth is, as much as we try not to fall off the wagon, the truth is, because of our brokenness, because of our weakness, we will fall off the wagon. And the beauty of the gospel is this. The beauty, the good news of the gospel is when you do fall off the wagon, the reason we begin with our Father, because it is that the same Our Father that invites us to come back to Him. So for some of you in this place, maybe you're dealing with a lot of guilt. Maybe you're dealing with shame and dealing with self-rejection and realizing, listen, I've been doing some making bad decisions. The invitation is to come back to the Father. Embrace his love, experience his love. And it is out of that place of, of intimacy and love with the Father that we pray, lead us not into temptation. The Christian and non-Christian, we are perpetually being saved. This is why we're crying out for salvation. We, we, we have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. Every single day of our life, we're essentially saying, Lord, save me. But I thought you were saved 15 years ago. I need to be saved at, at 2 o'clock today. God needs to save me again. We have been saved. We are being saved. We will be saved. This prayer is a cry for mercy and grace. So the question is this. Where are you tempted? Where has temptation come your way to entice you to stray, go away from the Father and his love and from the ways of his kingdom? And I, 
I can really just give us an idea of where temptation, what it looks like. And everything that we've prayed up to this point of the Lord's Prayer gives you an idea of where temptation is going to come. When you pray, Our Father, the temptation that the evil one and our own desire inside of us will come out is this. He is not, we'll be tempted to say, He is not our Father. He's not good and compassionate. And that's where temptation is going to come your way. When, when we pray, hallowed be your name, the temptation is to say, not his name be hallowed, let my name be hallowed. To pray your kingdom come, your will be done. The temptation that's going to come against you this week is this. It, let, not his king, let my kingdom come, let my will be done. When we pray, give us this day our daily bread, the temptation that's going to come our way is, is that not to trust him for daily bread, or to hoard, and not to live in contentment. Where temptation is going to come your way this coming week, I guarantee it, is when someone wrongs you. And you say, I, I'd rather not forgive that person. And you're tempted not to forgive and be resentful and hold on to a grudge. That's where temptation is going to come your way. So every single one of us, Jesus knows something about you and I. He knows we're weak, vulnerable people. And he gives us this prayer to cry out for the love of God, out of which his power would so fill our lives, so that we might express it to the world. Lead us not into temptation. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the ways that you save us, the ways that you rescue us when we make a mess of things. And Lord, I pray that through the power of your spirit that you would do something in us right at this moment. Lord, you would create in us a desire for you, a desire. Lord, would you, would you put in us a, a deep abiding sense of dependence in you, that we may abide in you, abide in your love, the evil one, our, our own fallen desires, Lord, would move us astray. And so, Lord, I pray that when we pray this prayer this week, lead us not into temptation. We cry out for your mercy and grace. May we be a people identified by prayerful dependence on you. And so, Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your love and kindness. And so we sing back to you now words of receiving this grace that, that, that comes down on us like rain. May we receive it and may our lives be marked by your mercy and power. And so we sing to you now. It's in Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, let's all stand together, buddy. As we close our service here, I want to invite our prayer teams to come to my, to my right. We have the Lord's table to my left here. The reason we end with the Lord's table and giving you an opportunity to take bread and dip it in the cup because it reminds us that the God who's come to us has come to us in weakness and has saved the world through weakness and brokenness. Jesus Christ comes as a, as a baby. He dies on a cross in brokenness. And mysteriously, that's the, that's the mystery of Christianity. He saves the world through weakness and brokenness. And so when we take bread and dip it in the cup, we are reminded that, that it, is, it is through weakness that God rescues us. It's through brokenness that he saves us. And when we take the bread, and we're reminded that Jesus Christ has done this on our behalf. He's broken and bruised so that you might be whole and healed. And so if you'd like to receive, you can come up the center aisle and have some folks offer it to you. And to my right, we have our prayer team. Listen, for some, the Lord's, this prayer, lead us not into temptation, is saying, Lord, save me. For, for some of you, you need to say that for the first time. You've never asked Jesus to save you. And today is the day. You've heard we preach that maybe someone invited you. Maybe it's your first time in church. 
Maybe you've been coming for a while, but you've never said those words. Lord, save me. Save me from what? Save me from myself. Save me from the evil one. Save me from all of my destructive ways. And would you give me everlasting life? So if that's you in this room, if you sense God speaking to you, your friends will wait for you. We have our prayer team here that would love to pray with you, pray for you, and share with you some next steps. And that's just for some of you. Now, others of you, you have prayed, Lord, save me. But the truth is, you need to pray that again. Maybe this might be your hundredth time praying it. And it's just as valid as the first time you said it. Lord, save me again. Lord, I maybe this week some of you were thinking about doing something. Maybe you had something, a, a decision in your mind, I'm going to go this way. You know it's going to lead to destruction. And you're saying, you know what, I'm going to do it anyway. And the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now. Saying, I'm, put, I'm putting the brakes on you right now. I feel like it's a word of God for someone in this room. You had your mind made up. You had it all planned out. You weren't even planning on coming to church today. And yet the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right in this moment saying, Pause. Lead us not into temptation. So if that's you, if you're like, you know what? Lord, save me. You come up here again. Come here as well. May the power of the living God so fill your life today that you would not be led into that kind of destructiveness, but led into everlasting life and the life that he has for you. So as we close here, you can come up for whatever reason you'd like. But as we close here, I want to invite you to open your hands towards heaven. If you're new here, we close every gathering like this because to have your hands in this posture is a posture of receiving. We cannot give what we have not received. So with our hands in this posture, we're saying, Lord, would you give me joy so I can give it? Would you give me peace so I can give it? Would you give me love so I can give it? Would you give, would you give me all the things I need, God, so I can offer to others? And so with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May he shine his face upon you and may he flood your heart with peace. May you walk out of this place in the power of the Holy Spirit, the greater dependence on God. May your life be saturated in prayer this week. May your life be saturated in communion with God. May you cry out for the mercy and grace of God. And may your life be an extension of that grace and mercy to others. So I bless you all today in the strong, in the beautiful, in the saving name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. God bless everybody. have these cards here make sure you fill them out and drop them down in the, in the welcome center downstairs